This podcast is produced by KPP Financial. Steve Peasley, President. KPP Financial. Independent thinking, shared success. And now today's podcast. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Welcome to Invest Talk, above average investing for the average investor. We try to bring you useful information and answer any questions you might have, as long as they're financial. 888 99 is our number, 888-992-4278. Shannon Livermore, how you doing out there, Livermore, Shannon? Doing great. I've just started kind of investing. I'm 36, and okay. uh, the, the company I work for, they don't have a 401k. Oh, man, you need to get them on the ball. I know, but I was thinking of doing it on my own. I'm okay. interested in, in the Roth IRA. It, well, how old are you again, Shannon? I'm 36. Do the Roth. That's the one you want. Don't do regular. Do Roth IRA. Okay, you said there's no tax on it? That's right. You know, the money you're making every day, you know how you pay income tax on it? Yes, yeah. Well, you don't get to write that off. You still have to pay income tax on it, on a Roth IRA. But once you take that money and put it in a Roth, all the growth that you're growing that money, let's say you put in $5,000 this year, and that money grows over 20, 30 years, grows to 30000 just pick a number. Okay. When you start taking it out, you never have to pay taxes on any of that money you take off, ever. Okay, and I have someone that I guess I should go through. I had bought some mutual funds, but they're the real low-risk ones. Okay. They're not really going to make any money. No. Get out of the low-risk. Do high-risk, Shannon. Buy a mid-cap growth fund, a small-cap growth fund, a small value fund, and maybe a large-cap growth fund. Okay. With the Roth... Would I have to pay the 4000 up front, or do I do it throughout the year? You can put it in any time you want. Let's say the Roth money that you want to put in, is we're talking about the money you're going to put into the Roth? Yes, sir. You can put it in uh, any time of the year. You actually have up until April 15th of the following year to put it in for this year, I believe. Okay, but do I have to give them $4,000 up front? Or? Nope. You can give 100 bucks, 200 bucks a month. You can do whatever you want. Okay, great. That's what I needed to know. Thank you very much. Thanks, Shannon. Appreciate the call. Hello, my name is Oleg and constant listener. And also I, I have a portfolio with the KPP Financial. And my question is related is to inflation. It is clear that inflation is going to come in the United States in the near year or two. What expectation is for the foreign country? Like I have some money in another country that I'm considering to protect against inflation, but I don't know exactly if there is a risk and how much. Does it make sense to convert it now to dollars and invest in here or do something else? I would appreciate some reflection on this point. Thank you. Well, That depends on what country you're speaking about, right? One of the big factors in inflation rising and inflation expectations rising here in the the U.S. is that we're based on the U.S. dollar. And the U.S. dollar is declining in value dramatically. Since the highs in March, the U.S. dollar value is down over 20%. Now, that's based on a basket of currencies. But the U.S. dollar uh, against certain currencies may still do relatively well. You know, what's happening here in the U.S. is that we are converging with places like Europe and Japan, who have been on the print money and monetized debt train for a while now. 
And now that's where we're at, right? We are Japan, okay? And so the fact that uh, the, the dollar is going down, that is a big reason why inflation is likely to continue to bubble up. On top of the fact that the reason the dollar is going down is because the governments are going to spend and they're going to, once again, monetize that debt here in the U.S. So transferring or taking that money overseas and putting it in dollars, well, likely the dollar is going to depreciate against that foreign currency. Once again, doesn't mean it can, it, it has to, doesn't mean it's going to depreciate against all foreign currencies. Currently, it's just mainly the, the bigger ones, right? The euro, the yen, etc. So don't just say, oh, inflation's heating up and, and I need to take my money out of a particular country. It's more about the assets that you're investing that money in, right? And equities typically are inflation hedges. Commodities are inflation hedges. Those are things that do well in a high inflation environment. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. And you can get through right now. to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments though 888-99 chart 888-99 C H A R T and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Let's go to Carl in Ohio. Carl. Hey Steve, uh, love the show, listen to the podcast every day. Thank you. I got a question. I finally uh, built my brokerage account up enough to potentially pay off a 7% student loan. Would you advise taking the guaranteed 7% from the loan or with as uh, lucrative as the market has been, would you recommend staying in it? I think the market's going to do pretty well this year, 2021. But if you're going to give me a choice, if I can not pay 7%, can I earn 7% in the market? Probably, but I'm going to have to take risks to earn that 7%. Paying off a loan at 7% is no risk. So if you're going to, if you give me the choice, one or the other, I'd probably pay off the loan. All right, now, thank you. You know, I could be totally wrong. It might have been better to stay in the market, but I like that guarantee 7% I don't have to pay. If I don't have to pay it, it's like I earn it. I earn 7% and I don't have to pay it. So that's what I would do because I'm kind of conservative on that and that kind of thing. Carl, good luck with it. I hope it, hope it works for you. 888-99-CHARTER is our number, 888-992-4278. Let's go to Paul in Berkeley. How you doing, Paul? Great, great. How you doing, Steve? Good. Thanks for calling. Hey, my question is, um, I have a 401k through my employer. I have an IRA, uh, which I opened myself. Now, I'm projecting at some point this year that between those two, the dollar amount will um, equal the minimum amount that I can come in and start working with you. Okay. Is it possible to take, you know, take the 401k and take the IRA and... Are you self-employed, Paul? No. Okay, so you work for an employer who provides a 401k. Correct. That 401k, you cannot have a person like me or a company like me manage it for you individually because you have to keep it where you are, you're stuck with their choices, and you can't move it out of there. I'm not saying that. I'm kind of saying when the dollar amount reaches the level I need, can it be rolled over somehow? 
Uh, not if you're you know. still working for them. The answer is no. Not if you're still huh. working. Once you stop working for them, you go work for somebody else. Then you can roll it over to an IRA. Gotcha. Yeah, gotcha. you're stuck. And, you know, and I, I really disagree with this. I think they should allow you to roll a 401k over into an IRA anytime you want to. Personally, yeah. that's, well, that's what I think they should. But that's not the law. Yes. Paul, sorry I couldn't help you, but give me a call if you want to talk about more details about that. I'm happy to explain all that stuff. Thanks very much. Dude. Thanks, Paul. Appreciate it. Hi, uh, my name is uh, Christian. Uh, I've got a quick question. I've been uh, buying stocks that are low, and then as they go 30% high, I sell them. So I'm normally keeping stocks for like, uh, like one or two months. Uh, I want to know if this is a good strategy since I'm making some profit, or will I be penalized for paying more taxes uh, next year? Thank you for your time, and I love your show. Well, you have what uh, Steve calls a good problem. Right, there are good problems and there are bad problems. Bad problems are you don't have any money. Good problems are you have to pay taxes because you made money. Okay, so what you're talking about is, hey, I made some good trades. I rode the rally in the market on some certain names. I sold them rather quickly, but that's something that you should have thought about when you were selling, right? In taxable account. You have to think about the tax consequences of taking gains or buying stocks that have dividends. Right? You're going to have tax consequences. So, is it a good strategy? If you're making money, it's a good strategy. <laughs> if you're, you know, you're going to pay taxes, you're going to pay taxes. Better than losing money, having a write off. Right? So, you know, this is a time where you think about tax loss selling. You probably have some losses. Probably didn't hit a home run every single time, right? Maybe it's a time for tax loss selling. Because typically that's what December is for. Figure out what the tax liability is and make the proper adjustments. Thanks for the call. Our Invest Talk mission is to help you make better investing decisions. To do that on your own, thumbs up or thumbs down choices based on good, solid investing principles. But we need your questions to keep us on track. 888-99-CHART or click on Contact Steve or Contact Justin on investtalk.com. Hey, Steve and Justin, I'm calling in from Alaska. I love the show. Thank you. I had a question for older people, say about 50 years old, who have lived about paycheck to paycheck their entire lives and they don't have much save for retirement and they want to get started with that. Now, since they're older and they have less time, my question is, is there a, a better choice for an investment vehicle as opposed to like a IRA, Roth IRA, 401k, brokerage? Looking forward to hearing your answer. Um, thanks again. Bye. Well, the answer to that question is no. The, the investment account type is kind of what you're you're asking about when you say Roth IRA, IRA, 401k. Remember, those are only account types. Those aren't investment. They're investments. They're investment vehicles. Uh, they are just simply account types. And the account type basically dictates the tax consequences, the tax treatment of those investments and that money. And so that's really the big change there. But then, for the most part, uh, 401ks aside, you can buy kind of whatever you want, and then it goes down to your investment strategy. Now, if you are getting a late start, you haven't saved enough, well, then you probably want to be a little more aggressive, right? Because you, you need to catch up a little bit, and you need to have probably a, a better stomach for volatility than 
you probably really want to be, right? Um, if you're a more moderate investor, maybe you go a little moderately aggressive. If you're a moderately aggressive investor, maybe you need to go all the way to aggressive, right? So maybe upping that risk level just a little bit, but doing it in a smart way, doing it not just taking risk to take risk, not just saying, oh, this is an aggressive investment, so I buy an aggressive investment. It's not like that. It's just understanding that, hey, I'm going to, in a smart way, have to up my risk metric on my portfolio and on my investments. So you should continue and try to push on saving in those particular t account types for tax purposes, but then keeping your eye on the ball when it comes to your strategy and developing something that uh, makes sense long-term, not just short-term. I know you may not have 30 years, but you probably still have 10, 15 years before uh, you're going to retire uh, and you need to up that risk a little bit. Let's go to Mark and PB. How you doing, Mark? And for all those guys out there, Mark, who don't know where PB is, that's Pacific Beach. I yeah. grew up in San Diego, so we all called it PB. Yeah. I have four different IRAs. Yes. I have a traditional, I have a Roth, a rollover, and a SEP. Okay. Can I uh, combine any of those? Yes. Is the SEP currently being funded right now? Is that... No, active? I okay. basically did it as like kind of a tax saving. Right. I know I a lot of us did. Yeah, yeah, for about 10000 I guess that's how much you can pull out if you were to buy a house? Yep. I did that point. too. A lot of yeah. people did that. Now, yeah. yes, you could combine the IRA, the rollover IRA, and the SEP IRA into one. What Pardon would it me? be under? Now it would be a, just a new IRA, just a plain old vanilla IRA. Traditional IRA. Yes. The and SEP and the rollover. Because okay. a rollover, and Mark, this is just for everybody else. A rollover yeah. is what happens when you have a 401k at a place of business and you're working there and then you leave. You right. then can roll that 401k into a rollover IRA. Right. And that's what you did. And yeah. now you have three IRAs that can be combined, but you have to keep the Roth separate. Right. Okay, because of the two different way taxes are taken. Right. So what you could do is you can call some money manager like me, or you can do it yourself at a bank or a mutual. You can do it anywhere you want to and okay. say, I want to combine these three IRAs. All and, right. And they'll be happy to do it. We do it all, all right. the time. All right. Great. Okay. Thank you. Thanks, Mark. Appreciate the call. You're listening to Invest Talk, everybody. I'm Steve Peasley. We want to answer your questions. Our listener line number is always ready for you. 888-99-CHART. Beginning our experience. We're here to answer your question. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888 99CHART, 888 99CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hi, Steve or Justin. This is Colin in Chicago. I've been a listener for probably about a year now. I started just before the pandemic, and I've been creating my own portfolio using TD Ameritrade, buying stocks, doing my own research and using the advice that you guys provide. And I was wondering if it would work out the way that I'm anticipating as far as starting a traditional IRA on TD Ameritrade using the portfolio that I've created and, and just contributing the maximum amount for the 2020 calendar year, just as a tax advantage. I'm trying to lower my taxable income as much as possible uh, since I missed out on all the stimulus last year. So do you think 
it would be a good idea for me to take my portfolio and then contribute the maximum 6500 into a traditional IRA just to get that tax advantage like I was thinking and, and try to keep my taxable income under 100000 I will listen for your answer on the podcast. Thank you guys for all you do. You guys have been a great help. Bye. Yes. <laughs> yes, you always want to max out your 401ks, 403bs, 450, whatever, whatever alphabet uh, retirement account you have at work, and your IRA if you can't. You know, because some of us can't you make too much money and you're not able to. But the answer is yes. You could open up an IRA at TD, and I like TD. That's our custodian, and just roll in, you know, roll in your holdings into the IRA. You can do that, and that could be your contribution. So I, I don't have a problem with that. I think that makes sense. Now, let's go to Min in San Diego. Hi, Min. How you doing? I'm doing fine, Steve. How are you doing? Good. Thanks for the call. Well, thank you, Steve. How can one person buy a natural gas index? The easiest way is uh, through an ETF, the UNG ETF. That's a symbol. It's called United States Natural Gas Fund. It's an yes. exchange-traded fund corresponding to the change in price of the natural gas delivered at the Henry Hub in Louisiana. So it goes down if natural gas prices go down, it goes up if natural gas prices go up. Now Steve, when they when you guys track natural gas, does that mean they track natural gas exactly wherever natural gas moves? Yes, the or? CRB are supposed to be tracking the index. Uh, the UNG is supposed to be tracking the price, not the index. Right. You know the difference, right? It's not the index. It's the price of the gas at the Henry Hub station. So what's the price? It's supposed to follow the price. So that's a difference. The index it might be a group of natural gas companies. Supply, ship. That's what the index would do. Where this is, this UNG is trying to just track the price. Okay. Man, I appreciate the call. Thank you. Got a question for Steve or Justin? I'm calling to ask your opinion on an ETF called XLI. And the question is, during the market downturn, do dividends stay fairly steady? And I've got a question about warrant shares. I think that's the right term. A warrant is a right to buy shares of stocks at a certain price. What's your question? Now is a good time to call Invest Talk 888-99-CHART. Hello, Noah from Hawaii. Thank you, first of all, for the uh, excellent, excellent podcast you put out. My goodness gracious, uh, you enrich us with your entertainment and your uh, and the education that you give us on uh, all the financial matters. Uh, thinking about uh, utilizing a certified financial planner, a fiduciary, to manage my um, my retirement funds, and I want to know the correct, proper questions to ask them to research that company or a particular company. Should I ask them about their annualized return for low, medium, and high-risk portfolios? Should I ask them about their ratings within the industry? And third, should I um, ask them about their fee structure based upon a dollar amount invested with their firm? Uh, appreciate your answer, and I'll listen, look forward to it. Take care, and aloha from Hawaii. Okay, CFP, Certified Financial Planners, uh, are a good start, but the First major question when you're talking to a financial planner is how they get paid, because they're not investors. They're not. They don't invest things. Um, they more advise you what to buy, and and generally they're telling you to buy insurance and buying mutual funds and buying annuities, things that cost money 
to you, but makes them high profit. So that's the first most important thing in my mind is uh, uh, how he gets paid. When, when uh, how, you know, if he if you pay him by the hour because he's giving you advice, I I'm okay. I'm okay with that, and I'm okay with him getting paid. Don't think I'm not. But a lot of times it's obscure because he's getting commissions and back end commissions from things, so he or she. Also, if they're recommending a custodian of your money, you know, like Schwab or Fidelity, Vanguard, I don't care who, Goldman Sachs, make sure it is F, uh, insured, okay? FDIC, uh, that is the insurance for banks. SIPC is insurance for um, uh, custodian of investment accounts. You want a large, safe, insured custodian. That's really important. Very, very important. Madoff, who stole those billions of dollars, he was his, his company was the custodian, and it was not insured. Okay? And, of course, you mentioned it. You want, it, you want them to be a fiduciary. You want them to have the fiduciary responsibility. Uh, we are, KPB Financial is, and that is important that you get it. So those are the kinds of questions. You know, performance, if he's a, a financial planner, he's not managing accounts. So, you know, his performance would be whoever he's telling you to go to for performance, whatever assets he's telling you to buy. So, good questions, though. Very good questions. You can call right now and be part of the program. Let's hear about what your talking point is. 888-99-CHART. 888-992-4278 and you can get through right now. Let's say you've been thinking about learning a new language. Okay, why? I mean, how would it come in handy? And where would you want to use it? Could it be that you have an upcoming international trip? Or maybe you want to connect with family members or friends from a different culture? I think you should know about Rosetta Stone. With millions of users, it's been the world's most trusted language learning program for 30 years. Rosetta Stone is available on your desktop or as an app with audio companion and the ability to download lessons offline. Rosetta Stone truly immerses you in the language you want to learn. It has a built-in patented speech recognition engine called True Accent. So as you practice speaking, you'll get feedback on how well you pronounce words. With Rosetta Stone, you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. It's an intuitive process designed for long-term retention. You really learn to speak, listen, and think in your new language. Rosetta Stone is an amazing value, so your special skill set is within easy reach. You know you want to do this, so don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, InvestTalk listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com today. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off now at rosettastone.com today. At this point, I think almost everyone has heard how generative AI promises to bring us to the next industrial revolution. AI is already shaping society with an impact on daily life that echoes the transformative significance of electricity, 
or the internet. As we take steps to embrace the potential of generative AI, we need to remain vigilant with regard to its exploitability. This is where HackerOne comes in. HackerOne's AI Red Team addresses the novel challenges of AI safety and security for businesses that are launching new AI deployments. The HackerOne approach involves targeted offensive testing by harnessing the collective skills of ethical hackers who are proficient in AI and prompt hacking. In short, AI red teaming is the practice of stress testing AI models and deployments to make sure they can't be tricked into providing information beyond their intended use, and that security flaws can't be exploited to access confidential data or systems. HackerOne seamlessly integrates with your existing tools to enhance communication and collaboration across development, security, and IT teams. So, stay ahead of the game in the battle against cyber threats with HackerOne's Attack Resistance Platform. Learn more at HackerOne.com. That's H-A-C-K-E-R-O-N-E.com. HackerOne.com. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey, guys. Uh, Tom in Tennessee again. Happy New Year. You've been uh, suggesting that we rotate more toward value as value's been so badly hit over the last couple of years, several years. And I would presume that the rotation to value has some assumptions built into it that we are going to get back to more normal. Well, with the vaccine rollout dreadfully slow, unemployment still rising or folks just not looking for a job anymore, Congress, well, Congress is Congress. Is it still a good idea to continue to rotate into value or should we look for some bottom? somewhere before we start investing uh, there. I look forward to your answer on the podcast. Never miss a one. Thanks, guys. Uh, the answer is yes, it still is. Uh, if you look at the trends, the trend remains intact. That growth is underperforming value uh, across the market. Ever since the September high, remember we had the sell-off in September? Yeah, we've rallied since in the major S&P, but the growth side has, has made higher, lower highs and lower lows ever since then. And now, uh, if you look at the chart, which obviously you're not looking at, but I am, uh, the 50-day is pointing down. It's been pointing down really since mid-November, and now the 100-day is threatening that as well, uh, kind of flatlining. Uh, so you're, you're starting to see this trend after years and years and years of the growth outperforming, and there are, some few, there are a few factors that are driving this. Number one is a weaker dollar. Weaker dollar means higher inflation, and that means higher interest rates in general. You start to see interest rates rising a little bit. Uh, but also, you're, you're seeing expected future economic growth going up. So growth is becoming less scarce. And the reason that expected growth is going higher is because governments are now spending, right? They've opened up the checkbooks. They're writing checks to people. They're writing checks to businesses. They are spending, and the fiscal hawks are gone, right? And so this is 
repairing balance sheets, both especially on the corporate side, but also the individual side. And this is giving rise to that inflation, higher commodity prices, and higher economic growth. So this is the, a big reason for that, right? Uh, and so I, I maintain that value is still the place to be. Let's talk to Owen here in California. Let's talk about silver and gold. Hi. Uh, I was wondering uh, what if uh, you think that silver and gold have too high of a price right now, and if we need to look out for a drawback in order to buy, or if uh, it would be a good investment currently? No, I actually think that's the, the opposite. If you look at real yields, which are plumbing towards uh, the lows, multi-year lows, kind of the lows that we saw in the summer, uh, then you would surmise that gold and silver prices would actually be higher than they are right now, especially with the dollar declining as well. Uh, now, I think there has been some speculative scarcity demand taken away from the gold and silver space into crypto, uh, but I think that's more of a temporary thing. Uh, to me, still remains a, a good time. You've had this recent pullback in the gold and silver space. That's shaken out a lot of weak hands, uh, and, but technically, there's nothing wrong. In fact, it looks like it's just making a recent higher low and higher high, which is the start of the first thing you need to start a new uptrend. Uh, and so uh, I still expect gold to be north of 2000 by the end of the year. Uh, and the fact that we're here around 1800 still uh, tells me that the price is actually undervalued versus something that needs more of a pullback. It's had the pullback. It's basically since the beginning of August, when rates did bottom, right? When rates did bottom, it started to consolidate and nominal rates, excuse me, nominal rates bottom. Uh, but real rates are reaccelerating to the downside, to the downside. And that is typically good for gold and silver. So to me, it's opportunity. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial. Invest Talk hosts Steve Peasley and Justin Klein are the principles of KPP Financial, and they are independent financial advisors. This means they place their clients' interests ahead of the firm's. As part of that commitment, KPP Financial practices parallel investing, where Steve and Justin's accounts participate with client investments at equal prices and percentages. You can learn more about parallel investing and the other KPP Financial programs at investtalk.com. The phone lines are open. Steve and Justin welcome your questions. Call now, 888-99-CHART. Hi, Justin and Steve. This is Jamil from Dallas, Texas. I listen to your podcast almost every episode. So my question is about 2021 Roth IRA. I'm going to invest. I will maximize the Roth IRA. Uh, I was wondering, what would you suggest since I understand you recommend investing all of it upfront at the beginning of the year, would you recommend investing in the index funds or are there some sectors that you would recommend given that there's, there will be a new administration and such? So what's your recommendation if I were to invest oh, 6,000 for IRA starting of 2021? My time horizon for the IRA investment is about 20 years that is 20 years from retirement. So I can be very aggressive. So I don't have to be diversified as such. So thanks again. Bye. Well, I recommended three uh, three areas for the coming year. 
which is precious metals, um, uh, materials, and uh, commodities. I like 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 um, copper mines in uh, materials like uh, iron ore. Those kinds of areas I think are going to do well because I think we're going to have some inflation. I think the dollar is going to get weaker, so that will help those areas. For long term, it has no, there's it's smart to be in a broader uh, index fund ETF. I would suggest an ETF. You can do, you know, you can do almost anything you want with ETFs. They got broad index. They got sectors. So what you can do is you can break that six thousand up and put it in different parts of the market. But those are the areas I like the best right now. A year from now, maybe different. So. Anyways, other than the broader market ETFs, I think that's always a way to go for a long-term investment. 888-99-CHARTER is our number, 888-992-4278. We're going to go to Stan and Temecula. How are you doing, Stan? Good. I've been very perplexed about something. I'm hoping you can help me out. The question is, uh, looking at stocks that have a high short ratio, is that a red flag for you as an investor? How do you interpret the number? Does that equivocate to more risk in a stock? Or Very good question. Okay, because there's not really a very simple answer to this. If you have a lot of short interest, for everybody else, Stan, when I answer these questions, I try to answer in general enough so everybody else has some interest in the question. A shorting a stock means you think the stock's going to go down, okay, when you short. And Stan is asking, when you have a lot of short interest, a lot of shorts of the shares of stock, that means a lot of people, some big institutions, somebody thinking the stock is overvalued and going to go down, not up. And they're going to make money if it does, but they have shorts. So the assumption is that if there's a lot of short interest, that must mean there's something wrong with the stock because a lot of people think it's going to go down. And Stan, that's not necessarily so, first of all, number one. And number two, having a lot of short interest is actually supportive of the stock price because what happens is, those people have to buy the stock to get out of their short somewhere, sometime. That's right. how you get out of a short. You buy stocks. So if there's too much short interest, and now what does that mean, too much? Then you want to stay away from it if it's too much short interest. How they translate that, Stan, one way is to hard-to-borrow stock. The stock can be hard to borrow because you, when you're shorting, you're borrowing the stock and sell it short. So if you're hard to borrow, it's either hard to borrow because there's not many, very many shares in the float and it's just not borrowable, or there's too many shorts and it's hard to find the shares to sell short. What you really want to look for, Stan, is the increase of short interest, that more and more and more shorts are coming on board. That tells you more and more people are being convinced that there's something's wrong with the stock. So if you take a stock like Apple, for instance, yes, okay. I, I don't happen to know what the short ratio is, but what would be an alarm for you? If, okay. Let's say that the short ratio is five. If you saw it go to 10, then you'd be very concerned. But if it was a very high number, like, say, 15 or 20, and it had stayed there for a while, you would... I wouldn't be so concerned. I know it sounds odd, because I know that all those people are going to make it short squeeze and drive the price up. Put it this way. I don't want to be part of the crowd. I want to be ahead of the crowd. When you're part of the crowd, it doesn't work very good. So what you want to do is look out the percentage of number of shares of the float. 
If it's only a few percentage points, that's not very much. That's normal. If it's 15, 20%, get nervous. Don't short okay. it. Looking at it the other way, does that indicate that people think that Apple's going up then because the short ratio is so low? Yes, that's what that means. And their short ratio is very low, and therefore people think it's going to go up. Thank you very much. Appreciate the call, Stan. Hey, Justin. My name is Harris. I'm based out of Los Angeles. And I'm not only new to investing, but new to your podcast. I have two particular questions, and you can feel free to answer one or both or neither at your disposal, but two topics I'm very interested in. I read a lot online about EV stocks and how they could you know, have a very promising short-term future for a lot of new investors. So I want to know your opinions about upcoming EV stocks, your favorite EV stock if you have one, and whatnot there. And then secondly, the other thing I was curious about was merger and acquisition companies or SPACs right now. I read a lot about their uh, high-risk volatility in the short and long term. So I'm curious about what you think about those, if you have any favorites, what your thoughts are on SPACs for the future of investing and what that could mean for uh, everything coming up. So thanks for your time. And I love the podcast. Uh, Keep plugging away and take care. Thanks. Great question, and uh, glad to have you as a new listener. Now, the first thing I'll have to say is I cannot recommend via SEC rules uh, particular companies, right, because I don't know uh, your full financial picture, et cetera. Well, if you ask about a particular company, this goes for everybody out there, if you ask about a particular company, I can give you my opinion, but I can't give opinions of particular names. Second, uh, you know, you're, uh, uh, it sounds like you're, you're new to investing, you're doing a lot of research online, probably on message boards, et cetera, uh, and EV is the hot space. Uh, oftentimes investing, uh, more than often, uh, the vast majority of times when you are in uh, investing in a space that that's just hot and everyone's excited about it, uh, the valuations are, are stretched, right? People are, are following the story more than they're following the, the actual uh, business prospects. Um, so there's that. Third, EV, EVs in general uh, are tough to make money on. Uh, they're more expensive than internal combustion engine cars. And the auto industry long-term is just a very difficult business, very competitive space, right? Uh, if you look at the big names, Ford GM, Volkswagen, et cetera, they have poor, they, they have lower than average margins and profitability longer term. High fixed costs, right? So very cyclical uh, meaning their their earnings go up and down very fast, depending on demand, and all those make longer term investing, especially at these prices for many of these EV names, difficult. Now, what will I say? Will I say where the opportunities are? I think the opportunities are more in the companies that provide the nuts and bolts to. The electric vehicles, right? That maybe have technologies, competitive advantages that are important in building electric cars. I'll say that. I think that's better than the actual automakers. And you can see that with OEM uh, manufacturing uh, companies, right? That, that make parts for the big automakers. They tend to be more profitable than the actual automakers, right? From a margin and cash flow standpoint. So there's that. Next, I would say, if you're actually looking at automakers, I think what's underappreciated are the actual big automakers. There's one, 
say it's in Europe, that I think is more advanced than, than most, right? That have different electric car offerings that are really killing it across multiple of their brands. So I, and the valuation is not nearly as stretched as other ones. And they have the infrastructure, they have the know-how to build good cars because they've done it with just different drivetrain before. And so I would urge you, you know, uh, if you've been a listener to the show for any length of time, which doesn't sound like you have, you'll know that we're not these type of investors. Right? We're not chasing the story. We're looking at cash flow, earnings, good management, profitability, valuation. These are factors that to us make good investments. Now, if you're just looking for a trade, trying to ride that momentum, you know, they could keep going, right? The EV names. However, we are in an environment where, I've said this before, if inflation keeps going up, the dollar keeps going down, interest rates keep rising, the 10-year, you're going to see a continued rotation out of these growth names, out of these techie names, and into the value side of the market. And you continue to see that. It's really since the September high. Over the last three-plus months, you've seen this rotation. And I think it's going to continue. We've, we had growth outpouring value for many, many years, decade-plus. And that's just, just starting to reverse. So I hope that gave you kind of a broad picture of how to think, or at least how we think. You can, you can disagree. I could be wrong. It's one thing I will admit. And you need to as well. You're going to be wrong. It's not a game where you're going to bat a thousand. Nobody will. Will never happen. So that's my take. And I hope that helped and gave you some perspective. And we appreciate you being a new listener. So thanks for calling. Now, if you have a question about a stock or an IRA, college savings plan, well, maybe buying a house, mortgages, reverse mortgages, we're here for you. 888-99-CHART, 888-992-4278. You're listening to an encore presentation of Invest Talk. Please call with your questions and comments, though, 888-99-CHART, 888-99-CHART, and Steve will answer them on the next Invest Talk. Hey, Steve and Justin, Carl calling from Ohio. Got a question about health savings account. My company allows me to invest in my HSA into stocks once I have $1,000 in there. Being an account that I can't access except for medical bills, is there any different strategy you use for what type of stock to pick for these. Also, can you talk a little bit about some people use the HSA as a uh, secondary retirement account? I did a little research and couldn't find the specifics on how that works. Look forward to hearing the answer on the podcast. Thank you. Bye. Well, for your latter comment, uh, it can be kind of a secondary retirement account because it's tax deferred, 
right? So you can keep it in there and you're not paying taxes on those gains and, and that's growing over time. And then once you get to retirement, uh, you're obviously going to have more and more uh, medical expenses as you age, unfortunately. And then that's when you can you can draw on that money. And so it, it is, uh, in a way, it can be a secondary uh, retirement account because otherwise, if you didn't have that money, you're going to be taking out of that out of your retirement account. So uh, certainly something to consider. Uh, now, when it comes to the, your investment strategy, I wouldn't say there's a whole lot, especially if you're younger, right? Because uh, you have to look at time horizon. And if you're younger, you, you don't plan to have a lot of medical expenses in the near term. Maybe you do for whatever reason. Maybe your wife's pregnant or who knows, right? Uh, but if I would leave that chunk aside, anything that you feel like you're going to need to spend over the next year, two years, maybe you put that part of the HSA into a more conservative, maybe ETF, for example, right? That maybe has some fixed income assets, maybe it's a mix, uh, something that is not going to be quite as volatile, maybe a short-term corporate bond fund, for example, that type of thing. And then the money that you think you're going to not touch for at least five years, hopefully 10 years plus, then you invest that in equities and, and think more long-term with that. So that's the way I would think about it. And great question. And I do think those HSA plans are underrated, underutilized. So if any of you out there have the ability to save within an HSA, if your employer allows that, certainly try to take advantage of that when you can. Let's go to Nicholas in San Diego, buying foreclosures. How are you doing, Nicholas? Hey, doing pretty good. How are you? I'm doing great. I bought foreclosures in the past. I have. Yeah, I'm looking in like 101. What do I need to know? What do I need to look out for? Okay. I just want to know what that's all about. Buying foreclosures, uh, you won't be alone, by the way. You'll have competitors out there doing the same thing. Mm-hmm. Remember, the foreclosure process starts, Nicholas, when the person stops making payments on his house, okay? Right. The bank tries to work it out with them, and when they can't work it out, the house eventually goes into foreclosure. What the process is, is the bank is actually taking the house because they failed to pay. They're going to own the house. Banks hate taking in foreclosures. So what happens there is a foreclosure sale at the courtroom steps. And there's a person from the bank. There's usually anywhere from two to 10 other people like you and me. The minimum bid is going to be the mortgage amount on that property. Okay, Okay? That will be the minimum bid because the bank will take it. If you made an offer for that same amount and there's no other offers, you get the house. The trick, Nicholas, is you have to pay cash. And you have to pay it in the form of a cashier's check at the courtroom steps. Okay. So what happens is you've got to have that money in your hand. You've got to have a cashier's check in your hand. What I did is let's say it's a foreclosure of $300,000. I would bring a $275,000 cashier's check and then about 10 more of five or 10,000 increments because right. you don't know exactly what it is. So you, you usually overpay and they'll send you the money back that you overpaid because you had to sign over these cashier's checks. I see. That's the process. The difficult problem is is having the cash. Now, what happens after they buy the house? The bank, let's say the bank takes it back. Mm-hmm. No one's offering to buy it. Now the bank has got a real problem. They will immediately put it out for sale, and they're going to try to get this, do the same thing, try to get the minimum bids. When you see a foreclosure sale for sale by a broker, always lowball it. And then if you don't get it, just walk away. There will be millions more. That's how it works. Yeah, because in our neighborhood, uh, when my wife looked up uh, some foreclosure listings 
online. I'm not sure where she got it from, but she's looking at one that was $17,000. And in the area that she was looking at, the houses over there are going for around 500 So I was wondering if uh, that was realistic no. or if that's outrageous. Nope, you'll never find something like that. Uh, the 17000 might be the amount he's underwater. I see. You can buy that 17000 take over the loan, and you would have the property. That means you have to take over the loan and pay the 17000 Oh, I see. So it's not that great of a deal. It's not that great. Don't know. Never is. Never. Okay. Thank you, Les. Appreciate the call. Thank you much. Before we go, you can see more about today's topic. Go to investtalk.com. You want to contact me directly? Easy. Leave a message in the machine or go to investtalk.com. I'm Money Manager Steve Peasley, and I want to thank you for listening. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them specifically. Nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice, or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell securities. Such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis, and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor, which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is President and Justin Klein Chief Executive Officer of Klein Pavlis Peasley Financial. And they thank you for listening and welcome your comments or questions on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.